DiscerningHearts.com presents Christian Apologetics with Dr. R. R. Reno. Dr. Reno is the editor at First Things, a journal of religion, culture, and public life. He has also served as a professor of theology at Creighton University. His theological work has been published in many academic journals. Essays and opinion pieces on religion, public life, contemporary culture, and current events have appeared in Commentary and The Washington Post. He's also the author of numerous books, including Fighting the Noonday Devil. This series explores numerous facets of faith and reason in the life of the church and the world. Grounded on the work of giants such as St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure, Blessed John Newman, Blessed John Paul II, G.K. Chesterton, Blaise Pascal, and Stephen Barr, Dr. Reno helps us to open our minds to make the journey to our hearts. Christian Apologetics with Dr. R. R. Reno. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Dr. Reno. Pleasure to be here again. We're exploring Christian apologetics, and we're using St. Thomas Aquinas as our guide in the launching of a period of inquiry. And we've taken a look at his first question in the Summa Theologica. Could you just quickly recap where we've been? Well, the first question really wants to introduce us to the question about, or the issue about what theology is. I mean, or what the study of, of Christian truth is, is, what it's really all about. And he goes through a series of questions. And what we've looked at so far is we've looked at the question about whether or not we really need to do this whole thing. I mean, mm-hmm. why, why are we talking about this? Is this really necessary? Can't, mm-hmm. we, just, can't we just believe and, and get on with it? And then the second thing we've looked at so far is, okay, if, if theology was really necessary, if we do need to, to think about this, what kind of a thinking is this? Is this a rational kind of thinking or is it more like poetry? And so he feels like I think St. Thomas needs to get those two questions out of the way so they can get us our minds focused. God created us with, with, us with minds and the engagement of the mind is a key element of the salvation of the soul, number one. And two, that the mind is engaged in a rational fashion that shares many important qualities with the other things that we do with our minds, you know, the kind of education we receive at universities and the kind of things we do often in our work life. Uh, we have to puzzle things out. So mm-hmm. theology is both necessary for St. Thomas and it involves really important kind of puzzling things out. That leads us to Article 5, essentially, in the Summa, in that first question where St. Thomas is asking, is theology the most worthwhile discipline? Yeah, this is the famous article where he he winds up concluding that theology is the queen of the sciences, which I always like to tell my colleagues uh, where <laughs> I teach that uh, theology is the queen of the sciences. I teach in the, uh, the what's called the Humanities Center at Creighton University, but I've often objected at faculty meetings that this is an incorrect name for the building because it should be the Humanities and Divinity Center because theology is not the study of – it is it includes the study of the humanities, but also – the theology of the very word, study of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, this usually gets um, cackles and uh, from my colleagues. They don't like to be reminded that theology is the queen of the sciences. Well, as a theologian, <laughs> I'm, I bow to your, 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 your nobleness. How's that? Objection one for St. Thomas Aquinas on this, on this particular issue would be 
The value of a discipline is related to the certainty of its conclusions. One can doubt the teachings of the church. Therefore, theology is not the noblest of disciplines. Maybe that's why you get the cackles occasionally. <laughs> that is certainly why we get the cackle. I get the cackles. There's no question about it. You know, the physicists are in the front row rolling their eyes, you know, where the mathematicians are, are rolling their eyes. I think that we, we often think that, that the physicists and the mathematicians are, are right. I mean, solidity of results is really an important, precious thing in any kind of discipline. The solider the foundations, the more reliable uh, the results. And so you would think intuitively that the noblest disciplines are the, are the most solid ones the ones that are the most indubitable, the, the ones that we can doubt the least, the ones that produce the most reliable results. I dare say just to those physicists that they must be having a hard time right now with given the, all the different theories and breakthroughs in physics right now that's causing the foundations to be a little bit shaky. Yeah, the best scientists know that their disciplines are ongoing projects. But I think it's fair to say that the modern scientific project has been extraordinarily successful. I mean, St. Thomas, I think, would kind of weep with joy with the opportunity to learn modern science because it is such a powerful explanation for the created world. And I think that whatever ongoing revisions that scientists need to make, they, they pale in comparison to the solidity of, of what they've achieved. And if anything, the, the new innovations and the new, the new qu questions and the new theories, the sophistication of them and so on, it's testimony to how much has been achieved. I'm a big fan of modern science, as you can tell. Here, here. In fact, I think it's an ally of theology in an odd way. We have, you know, in the contemporary university, a kind of sentiment that all truths are relative or human beings construct truth. They don't discover it uh, or that... Truth is really a function of our will. Um, it doesn't compel our will, but rather we create it with our will. And I am, whenever I have debates in, in, the, in the university, the scientists always line up on my side. On that point, they really feel strongly that in their own experience, the mind serves. It does not create. Mm, and in that sense, so, there's yeah. a preparation for, they don't always agree with me on this. In fact, they rarely agree with me on this, that it's a preparation for a life of faith to experience that the power of what is real to compel the mind and to shape the mind. Objection number two for St. Thomas on this particular question, is theology the most worthwhile discipline, would be that dependence is not a sign of nobility. Theology borrows from philosophy. This dependence shows that it is not the noblest science. Right, right. You know, it's funny. He lived a long time ago, you know, 700 years ago and uh, uh, 800 years ago. And uh, we tend to think of our age as being unique in valuing autonomy and freedom. Mm -hmm. Well, here in this objection, he's really pointing to this intuition we have, which is that dependence is a sign of uh, diminishment and that uh, autonomy is a sign of strength and that presumably it's more noble to be in control, absolute control, and to be the source of everything and that it's a diminishment to have to rely on other things. And so the fact that theology has to rely on, on philosophy for basic concepts and disciplines of argument and all sorts of other things is a sign of its weakness. 
the overall response then to those two primary objections, to again, to this question, is theology the most worthwhile discipline would be? I think on this point, on this question, St. Thomas just goes right at the key issue. And he doesn't want to deny that one can doubt the teachings of the church. And he doesn't want to deny that theology borrows from uh, philosophy. But he does want to question our idea of nobility. What does it mean to be worthwhile? What do we really cherish the most? And he says that the first objection is right, that solidity, we, we intellectually should value those disciplines which are have the deepest, most solid truth in them. So we should value truth over opinion. But then he introduces a new idea, which is we should also value our disciplines according to the, what they teach us, what the subject matter is. And on this, he thinks theology really actually is noble, the noblest and the most worthy on both counts, both in terms of certainty and in, and in terms of uh, importance. And he points out that although I can d- doubt the teachings of the church, they are revealed by God. God cannot deceive and be mistaken. Therefore, the teachings of the church are the most, the most solid truths available. Conceptually, they're the most solid. That contrary to what the person, the first objection says, that says that the fact that we can doubt things in no way throws into question their certainty. You know, if that was the case, then scientists should be quaking at the thought of various kind of goofy people who are new age religion and all that kind of stuff that seems to believe or astrology or all kinds of things. I mean, people can, can reject modern science, but in no sense does that make modern science any less certain. People can reject the truths revealed by God, but in no sense does that make them any less true, uh, any less solid. So theology is the most solid results because uh, the teachings of science can be fallible, but the teachings of the church cannot be fallible. And so it's most noble in terms of certainty. But it's also obviously, I think, and this is a part that I think most of my students and colleagues kind of go, yeah, yeah, you're right on this one. The subject matter of theology is the noblest. It's the question about God and our eternal destiny. And so uh, in that sense, it's the most important and most worthwhile discipline. We'll return in just a moment to Christian Apologetics with Dr. R.R. Reno. This is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts could not continue without your prayers and support. Please consider making a tax-deductible gift. Click Donate at either DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue our podcast for those on the discerning journey. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. A teaching of St. Paul from his first letter to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts, but I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I hand my body over so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love is not pompous. It is not inflated 
It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. If there are prophecies, they will be brought to nothing. If tongues, they will cease. If knowledge, it will be brought to nothing. For we know partially, and we prophesize partially. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I used to talk as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. At present, we see indistinctly, as in a mirror, but then face to face. At present, I know partially. Then I shall know fully, as I am fully known. So faith, hope, and love remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. If you have been blessed in some way by the spiritual nourishment and teachings offered freely by all those involved with Discerning Hearts programs, please consider a positive review for the various programs on the iTunes and Google Play stores. This is a great way to help the ministry and is an encouragement to others who are seeking the best in spiritual formation to find and check out the programs. Won't you please help? It's an easy way to help give back and to be a part of the mission. Thank you and God bless from all at Discerning Hearts. We now return to Christian Apologetics with Dr. R. R. Reno. When we go back and take a look at Objection 1, the value of a discipline is related to its certainty of its conclusions, and one can doubt the teachings of the Church. Therefore, theology is not the noblest discipline. How then, from that response, can we answer that? Yeah, I mean, by distinguishing between how something is in our mind versus how, how it is in fact. In other words, if I'm drunk, my perception of reality becomes hazy, but that doesn't make reality hazy, or I can hallucinate, or I can be dreaming, or something like that. So the fact that our inner reception of something is uncertain does not make the thing received any less certain or less true. And so St. Thomas is able to say, look, the revealed truths obviously can be doubted, and we receive them imperfectly. Uh, as a result of the imperfection of our intellect, and I would add also um, because of our own sinful resistance to these truths, because uh, we don't like them, uh, a lot of the truths. We don't like to be told that we're sinful. Uh, we don't like to be told that we have to change. And so so there's, there's explanations for why uh, the truths of the faith are rejected, but the fact of our unsure relationship to these truths doesn't make the truths themselves any less sure. You could doubt in any of the sciences, actually, the conclusions or some of the truths found in, say, physics or biology. I think we're kind of going through that debate right now when we think of stem cell research about whether or not this is actually a human life. It doesn't mean that, that the discipline of biology is false. Yes, and I think it's important to see that possibility is, you know, so the truth of the matter doesn't change, even if the opinion of 
contemporary scientists does change to try to bring in itself into greater conformity to the truth. And the difference is, is that the is that the truths of revelation, unlike uh, the current teachings of science, the truths of revelation are from God, and unlike modern scientists, God is not fallible, um, and so they're they're more solid, they're unchanging, unlike the teachings of science. But I think that part of what's going on here too, and we'll get to this maybe in some later discussion, that we expect the reality of a thing and its importance to be accessible to us to the, with the same intensity internally as it has externally. So we expect, you know, what's most important in life to be most provable, say, or most self-evident. Um, but it doesn't turn out to be that way. Uh, it turns out, in fact, that our mind, our ability to prove seems to be inversely proportional to the importance of what we're trying to inquire into. So this makes theology all the more kind of important or more noble because it provides us with an opportunity. Um, that's what revelation is a gift because it provides us with a certainty with which to begin to think about things that are otherwise the most important thing of all for us, but are otherwise very, very inaccessible to us. In that second objection, again, dependence is not a sign of nobility. And you've touched upon that a bit in your response already, but the response to that specific objection would be. Right. I mean, I think it's theology depends on philosophy for all these tools of argument and clarification, but these tools serve the purpose of theology, which is to analyze and, and understand more deeply the revealed truths of God. And so this is where St. Thomas comes up with his famous image of philosophy as the handmaiden to the queen. Science is the queen and philosophy is the handmaiden because theology knows where to go and philosophy doesn't know where the human soul. So what St. Augustine says, my heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Only theology knows where that rest is to be found, although philosophy provides really all kinds of important tools to explain how that we make progress and so on and so forth. So which is more important, to know where to go or to know how to build the road? So philosophy is the are the tools to build the road, so to speak, the bridges and, and so on. But theology has that key indispensable knowledge of which direction to start out on. Where does the, where does the road lead to? Where are we supposed to build this road to? In that sense, philosophy is really dependent on theology. Otherwise, we don't have, know how to use our intellects in the best possible way. We depend upon um, Christ in order to guide us towards the best possible use of our intellects, even if our, cl our class in physics or our class in philosophy or our class in English literature trains us to think, but doesn't finally guide us to think in a way that serves uh, the deepest desires of our soul and also to serve the greatest good for the human community. To bring it back to today, the whole study of theology, have we lost that sense of the totality of the scope that theology can play in our lives? Have we reduced it down essentially then to just a course that you would take in a, in a classroom? Well, I try to avoid the doom and gloom that we've, we've, everything is, you know, everything is bad. But I think there are two tendencies. I think there's a tendency to make theology into a specialized undertaking that people like me, only people like me are supposed to do. And that's a danger of making it um, confusing the technical expertise that you need to make progress with the actual 
charism of reflection. And then the other danger is that you don't think you need to reflect because it's this inner truth, it's this meaningful emotional moment. But no, I think that theology for the church fathers uh, and for the early scholastics, uh, early medievals, theology was simply describe someone who had memorized the sacred scriptures or close to it and whose Christian life demonstrated a kind of expertise, if you will, in living in a Christian way, living in imitation of Christ. And so uh, I think theology has lost that kind of existential robustness, and maybe rightly so. But I would say that uh, for, for my students or for myself, I want to be able to think about the world in a Christian way. And that is theology, thinking about the world in a Christian way. The work I do as a technical theologian, as a scholar, are technical questions often to facilitate that happening. But it's actually having it happen in my life or in your life or in the life of our listeners. That's what I, I think St. Thomas thinks is the, is the true embodiment, if you will, of theology. People who think about their lives and think about their moral obligations and people who think if they are scientists, they think about their own scientific work in a Christian way. That would be the fullest realization of the, this kind of charism or gift of, uh, of the intellect in relation to God. Theology is the queen of the sciences. Would you say that that was the driving force behind the university system of, that developed, that in, especially in St. Thomas's time, that incorporating that into that, that theology, that understanding, that Christian worldview into all of the sciences? The um, theology was the last thing you studied. I mean, so a doctorate at the University of Paris was a doctorate in theology. Um, so there were no other disciplines that you would become a magister or, or a doctor in, um, a teacher, of te a teacher of teachers. Um, so they did think of, they thought of revelation, the revelation in Christ as the central truth for all of reality. And so you had to, if you will, get your mind around that in order to fully be able to understand secular law or to fully be able to understand, you know, there, were, there was a kind of experimental science that was just beginning to emerge in those days, to fully understand creative reality, to fully understand the human condition. So there was a, there was a living, this was a living project. So when St. Thomas talks about theology being the queen of the sciences, he's not, it's not wistful thinking on his part. He's really describing a social reality there, a Christian worldview that the universities of that day were beginning to give a more specialized form to. But you know what the price of specialization is? Fragmentation. Mm. Because we're finite. We can only specialize in so a part of reality. We can't specialize in all of reality. And so really St. Thomas's importance for us is that he inherits an integrated worldview that is achieving a degree of sophistication before it breaks into pieces you know, into these different specializations that lose their kind of integrated harmony uh, with each other. Um, and the university system was resisted by um, the great monastic figures uh, of the day um, for whom the idea of uh, study in the, in the cities was going to lead to a kind of soulless, intellectualizing project. And that for them, theology really is a kind of prayer, self-discipline, and intellect all unified in a monastic setting. So there were definitely people who were worried that the universities were going to spin out of control. And they had, they had some foresight. 
Uh, mm -hmm. that, that's probably, it certainly is true in our day. The universities don't see themselves as um, preparing us for a deeper, fuller, integrated um, theological vision. Clearly not. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, not even Catholic universities. They would like to, but uh, I think at Creighton, the spirit uh, would like there to be a deeper integration of learning around uh, the teachings of the church. But uh, how would that happen? You know, how would the physicists and the chemists and the biologists and the sociologists and all these people, all these specialists, how would they be able to organize their courses so that the students could see where it's heading as a kind of common goal? I don't think it's realistic um, to imagine that. Uh, now, later in our discussion, maybe we'll talk about St. Bonaventure, who lived at the same time as St. Thomas, who I think has a very different understanding of how faith and reason go together. Mm -hmm. That doesn't depend as much on St. Thomas does on the integration of all these things. Uh, and then maybe is more suitable for our time. Yeah, the reason I, I brought that up is because reflecting on what you were talking about, it, I was reminiscent of the current teachings of Pope Benedict XVI and his desire for us to begin to revision that again and that wholeness of, as when you speak of theology, not just as a discipline over here in the corner, but as the integration of the whole. Yes, and I think his Regensburg speech, I mean, he wrote uh, one of his dissertations on St. Bonaventure, and so uh, I kind of look at that and think, well, maybe there's a little more of St. Bonaventure in there than there is of St. Thomas. Mm -hmm. The spirit of truth is yeah. what St. Thomas, I mean, what, what uh, Pope Benedict wants us to recover. Uh, I'm not sure he, I mean, he's a modern man, university professor. I think he's very aware of how, how, how it would be like shepherding cats to try to get all these disciplines to fit into a kind of architecture this grand cathedral of knowledge that St. Thomas creates for us. Um, uh, so, I mean, maybe I'm over-reading St. Thomas. Maybe he's not. Maybe he doesn't really want this great cathedral of, of learning that all comes to a, uh, to a top of a beautiful pointed arch with uh, knowledge knowledge of God. Um, but uh, that, that's that's a general tendency in St. Thomas to see a kind of constructed reality of of your mind. A mind would be able to. Be, be shaped by these deep by these truths that come into a kind of culmination in our in the teachings of the church, uh, and I, like I said, I, it, it did happen in his time in a very important way, um, and it's something that we should cherish and in our own way maybe try to create that in our lives personally, which I think it is possible in some small way, but at the institutional level of the university, I I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime. Well, I long for the day when theology once again is the queen of the sciences <laughs> and no longer Cinderella in the corner of the room waiting to be go to the dance. Dr. Reno, thank you so much. We look forward to the next time we have a chance to talk. Pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Christian Apologetics with Dr. R. R. Reno. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Christian Apologetics, 
with Dr. R.R. R. Reno.